Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful day, this wonderful opportunity you have given us together for worship. Help us, oh God, now to preach your word. Uh, may your word bring your name glory and honor, and may, you bless your, may it bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture text for today comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 18, reading from verses 18, verse 18 down from verse 22. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dwelt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has terrified, testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit. I solicit your prayers from the subject, Messages from Misery. Messages from Misery. The book of Ruth is a fascinating story that shows how God really does move in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. It's a story for people who wonder where God is when they face one heartbreak after another. It's a story for people who wonder whether a life of integrity is worth it particularly during tough times. It's certainly a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come from the mess they have made of their lives. The book of Ruth, I'm thrilled to report, is a refreshing as well as an encouraging book for those of us who choose to do life in the trenches rather than trying to escape life. According to Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, the story took place during the time of the judges. This was a 400 year period after Israel entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua and before there were any kings in Israel. Judges chapter 21 verse 25, which is the last verse of the book of Judges, tells us just what sort of period this was. The text reads, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, the period was messed up. It, it was broke. It was a discouraging time in the history and in the lives of God's people. Yet God was working, doing the worst of times. And the book of Ruth shows us how. The book of Ruth begins with the story of a man named Eliminate, Eliminate, along with his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, moving from Bethlehem, Judah, over to the country of Moab. Now the reason they were moving from Judah over to Moab is that there was a famine in the land of Judah. Well, shortly after being there, tragedy struck and Eliminate dies and Naomi was left with her two sons. Her, her sons 
then married Moabite women, one named Opar and the other named Ruth. However, about 10 years later, both her sons died, leaving Naomi and her daughter-in-laws as widows in a culture where men were their primary source of protection as well as provision. It was a hard, hard, hard life uh, and a very difficult role uh, for women, especially widow women, um, who had no men to take care of them. In the midst of her heartbreak and in the midst of her troubles, Naomi gets word that God had lifted his hand and that the famine was over in Judah and she decides to move back to Judah and her two daughter-in-laws with her. But while in route, her love for them caused Naomi to insist that they go back to the land of Moab. In actuality, Naomi was hoping that they would go back to Moab and find husbands and find families and live productive lives. And so she kissed them and, and as they wept together, the both two daughter-in-laws lifted up their voices and protesting, saying, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi continues to process the situation and she, as she looks at it, she sees that there's no happy future for her daughter-in-laws in Judah. Why? Well, at least for three reasons. First, they're Moabites. And they were, would have been despised and looked down upon by the people of Judah. They were considered unclean and came from a land, a land uh, begun through incest, incest. Rather, You can read about that in Genesis 19, uh, 30-37. Second, Moabites were forbidden from joining in temple worship. And they could not gather whenever the people of God gathered. And so Naomi is thinking, what a miserable time. My two daughter-in-laws, if they're with me, they can't even worship with the people of God. Deuteronomy 23 and 3. And then third, Naomi viewed herself as helpless to provide for her daughters-in-law any tangible support um, leading to them having a happy and productive life. So then she all, all, all over again urged them to return back to their own country of Moab. Well, Opal accepted her mother-in-law's urging and returned. She kissed her and she went back uh, to Moab. But Ruth stayed and, and, and while Ruth was there, she spoke some of the most profound words of commitment and love and honor and ever spoken in human existence. Notice what she said in verses 16 and 17. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and much more. If anything but death departs, parts you and me. Footnote: Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law is. Literally amazing. Watch carefully. First, her commitment means leaving her own family and her own land, the land of her childhood, a land where she was familiar, a land where she was 
accepted. Second, it means as far as she knows, a life of widowhood and childlessness. Both these conditions meant ridicule, embarrassment, loss of financial security, especially during her senior years. Third, it means going to a land with new people, new customs, and having to deal with a new kind of prejudice, a new kind of hatred, a new kind of racism because she was a Moabite woman in the land of Judah. Fourth, it was a commitment even more radical than marriage. For she said, where you die, I will die and there be buried. Verse 17, in other words, she was would never return home again. Not even after Naomi dies. But the most amazing commitment of all is witnessed in verse 16 where she says, your God will be my God. Notice Naomi had just said in verse 13, the hand of the Lord is against me. But in spite of this, Ruth forsakes her religious heritage and clings to the God of Israel. She trusts him along with Naomi to hold them in spite of Naomi's bitterness. Ruth has the kind of faith that is desperately needed today, the kind of faith in God that sees beyond bitter setbacks. She has the kind of faith in God that we need today, the kind of faith in God that sees beyond bitter setbacks, that looks beyond the current crises, the kind of faith that thrusts us forward with joyful enthusiasm and optimism concerning what God will do in the lives of people who trust him above and beyond everything else. That's the kind of commitment echoes the wisdom of one poet who wrote, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. When Naomi, Naomi saw how determined Ruth was to go with her, she ceased from trying to discourage her and she stopped trying to send her away back to Moab. So it was the two of them proceeded on their 30 mile journey from Moab to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the women were excited to see them and, and said, is this Naomi? To which she replied, don't call me Naomi which means pleasant. Rather, call me Mara, which means bitter. Bitter, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me? So there they were, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth from Moab in Bethlehem. And notice the writer of the book says, at the beginning of barley harvest. From these, this remarkable story, we can see four messages from misery. Four messages from misery that will help us as we make our journey through these very unsettling days in which we live. Four messages from misery. First, the first message from misery is God's sovereign rule. 
God's sovereign rule. God's sovereign rule is the doctrine that God is ultimately in charge of all human affairs. He rules the nations. Don't forget that he rules the nation. Daniel 2.21 emphasizes this truth with the words, He, meaning God, removes kings and he raises up kings. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He, meaning God, does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, say to God, what have you done? Because God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. No one can say, God, what have you done? No one can restrain his hand. So, in the midst, mix, mid, amid Naomi and Ruth, mix-ups and mess-ups, in the middle of their heartbreak and heartache, right there at the intersection of their blight and bitterness, both Naomi and Ruth moved through their misery knowing that their lives were interwoven together in a tapestry of hope because they believed in the sovereignty of God's rule. So here's the takeaway. As believers in Jesus Christ, now more than ever we need to embrace the doctrine of God's sovereign rule. We need to know and we need to understand that it is God, not people, who is ultimately in charge. You see, it's God who gives rain and takes rain. It was God who gave the rain in Judah. It was God who took the rain in Judah. It is God who gives life and takes life. It was God who had taken a little Imelech and, and they almost two sons. It is God in whom we live and move and have our being and nothing escapes his notice from the falling of a single snowflake in the Colorado Rockies to a congregation in Gardenville, Florida, providing a single drop of water in a thirsty child's cup in Uganda, East Africa. It's all about God, what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to get it done. The genius of the hymn writer, Marby T. Babcock, is revealed in the words, this is my father's world. To my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spears. Can you see the sovereignty of God in the words of this hymn? This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought. How many of us are resting in the thought? That this is our Father's world. How many of us are resting in the thought that this world belongs to God even though it is rocking and reeling? This is my Father's world I rest in. Me in the thought of rocks and trees or skies and seas. 
his hand the wonders wrought. The second message from misery is about God's providential care. God's providential care has to do with God's interaction, God's intervention, or even God's invasion into our lives. Dr. Henry Blackaby wrote a study some years ago entitled Experiencing God. In his study, Dr. Blackaby states that God has a right to interrupt our plans at any time. The best is God has a right to interrupt your plans and my plans at any time. So it was God interrupted Naomi's plans. And by her own admission, that interruption produced bitterness in her life. God interrupted her plans and it produced bitterness in her life. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. And now she had returned to her homeland feeling like a miserable failure. Some might say that Naomi's bitterness was a result of sin, of an Elimelech moving the family to a pagan nation, a pagan country, a Moab. Some may say her sons marrying Moabite women was the cause of her bitterness, her hurt, her pain, maybe so, but not necessarily, for Psalms 37, 19 declares, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. Sometimes our afflictions come because of our sin. Sometimes it does not. Neither the Old or New Testament promises that born again believers, that baptized Holy Spirit feel feel tired, pain, church going, saints will be able to avoid afflictions in this life. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise that we will be able to avoid afflictions. Nowhere does it promise we will not have difficult times and challenging times. Just suppose for a moment that Naomi's bitterness was associated somehow with her being disobedient. To God. Such being the case makes the story doubly encouraging because now it shows that God is willing and able to turn his judgments into joy for those who trust in him. Not only that, if Ruth, the despised and rejected Moabite foreigner, was brought into the family through sin. It is doubly astonishing that God would make her, watch this y'all, that God would make her this fallen, fallen woman, this despised woman, that God would make her the grandmother of King David and eventually the ancestor of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. So here's the message from this misery. Don't ever think that the sins of your past means that there is no hope for your future. Don't ever settle for a faulty theology which does
dooms you to the sidelines of inactivity in your church, believing that you are not good enough to participate. Never accept the self-righteous assessments of people who classify your past sins and hold them against you, whatever they are, as reasons why you can't do whatever God is calling you to do in his service. Like Naomi and Ruth, we've got to get over whoever and whatever that seeks to block our devotion to God. Third, the third message from misery is about God's purpose for his people. God's purpose for his people has to do with God working all things together for good, for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose as stated by Paul in Romans 8.28. That's God's purpose for his people. God's purpose for you is to work all things together for your good. And, of course, for his glory. All things, yes, all things. Even the hard things, even the painful things, even the disappointing things, God's purpose is to work them out for your good. That's God's purpose. Look at verse 22 of the text. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That little statement there just kind of jumped out at me. Look at the flow of things. And then right there at the end it says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabiteth, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That one little statement there is a game changer. That one little thing, that one little statement is a monumental announcement that God is up to something good. Up to something mind-blowing. Well, barley harvest was a seasonal event where men and women worked the fields gathering barley and wheat for food to eat and to sell in order to sustain themselves. But this barley harvest would be different. This barley harvest would be like none other. This barley harvest would be something they never thought or imagined. Because this barley harvest represented much more than just food to eat and food to sell. For Naomi and Ruth, although they were unaware at the time, this barley harvest represented joy in the midst of sorrow, hope in the midst of despair, relief in the midst of suffering, and prosperity in the midst 
of poverty and salvation in the midst of lostness. Here's the takeaway. Some of you are at the beginning of barley season. You are at the place where because of your faithfulness, God is about to do something beyond what you even asked or could imagine. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Look for the signs of barley season, barley harvest. Don't miss barley harvest in your life. For some of you, barley harvest is a new job or promotion. You receive at, after being at a dead end, career-wise for such a long time. For others, it's the development of a new relationship after thinking you could never love again. For others, it's the hope you see in a grandchild or in grandchildren after your old children have gone astray. For some, it's the new medicine the doctors want to try Believing it will give you a better quality of life. For others, your barley season involves a breakthrough in your marriage, causing you to grow closer together rather than falling apart. For some, your barley season is barley harvest is finally coming to the place in your life, finally coming to the point in your life, finally coming to the place where you understand that in spite of all your shortcomings, your ups and downs, your mountains and valleys, you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God loves you in spite of your flops, your floundering and your failure. So remember, it's barley harvest. The message to the misery is this. Stay tuned. Stay with God. Stay involved. Keep your hand in God's unchanging hand. Respond to his call. Do what he tells you to do. For the best is yet to come. There might be someone here today listening to this message and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This message is the beginning of your barley harvest. If you want to receive Jesus today, I encourage you to pray something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner in need of Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've accepted Christ today, Welcome to the family of God. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May he grant you his peace. In Jesus' name.